Look, if it helps, I do know that you're trying your best. It just takes time. This is for the new baby. Well, you can't give away Emily Brontosaurus. I'm too old for her and since she lost the teddy. I know, but you've had her forever. Please, Dad, I want to do this. Right, OK, I mean, so long as you're really, really sure. I am really, really sure. The talk of the street. 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 Hello and welcome to episode 166 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catch-Up podcast that thinks if Tyrone is the trouble started, Alina the punking instigator, Fizz the fear addicted, Ruby the danger illustrated, then Hope is the fire starter, twisted fire starter. <laughs> I'm Gavin. And I have that. <laughs> Didn't have enough breath for that. I'm glad I brought Prodigy up last night. Oh, that was already there. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Mm-hmm. And I have the bestest husband ever. You do? Yes. When did that happen? Um, almost ten years ago. Nine years ago. Almost ten. It'll be ten next year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll take it. I won't argue. Oh, we had a lovely... Oh, we did. We haven't lovely. done this since then. <laughs> okay, now, now it all makes sense. We had a lovely birthday weekend last weekend you know, i haven't sat down and recorded this in like for 10 days then i know it's been, it's been it seems while. like forever huh mm-hmm. yeah it was hilarious because like the way you were talking and the way you sounded like you were dreading this yeah so much <laughs> I, I i said to my to my brother and and to stelia i was just like i think mr gav is taking me camping <laughs> And that was only uh, partly for show. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was out in the woods and there were lots of nature trails and stuff, but it was more a tiny house than a cabin. It was. It was one of those, that show on HGTV. Right. Is it called Tiny Houses? I don't know. People wanted downsize from like 2,000 square feet to 15 square feet. Right. And then they get shown all these houses and then all they do is complain about them being too small. Right. It was one of those houses. Yes. It was a nice wee house, though. Yeah. Yeah. The sleeping arrangements uh, were my only complaint. <laughs> you thought it would be fun to sleep in a loft, forgetting that we are both in our 40s <laughs> it, and that you're claustrophobic. <laughs> the, the, the photograph that was on their website made it look much more than it was. <laughs> it looked like you could stand up in it. Ah. And you couldn't stand up in it. No. It was... It was a crawl space, basically. Yeah. I thought, you know, it's a little hay loft. That's kind of cute and romantic kind of thing, isn't it? But it wasn't. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't sleep there. up there. <laughs> and I couldn't sleep on the fold-out couch, so <laughs> our romantic weekend turned into separate beds. I did. But <laughs> the intent was there. Yes. Yes. That's good to it was it was very sweet and and I got to take you to one of my favorite places to Manistee mm-hmm. and uh and we walked along the shores of Lake Michigan and it was very wavy and that was fun we saw a dead fish oh, that, yeah we saw a seagull murdered by a drawbridge 
How lazy must a seagull be to get caught in the mechanisms of a of a descending drawbridge? That's what we saw. Or just inattentive. There's, you don't notice that you're about to be crushed, crushed to death. He was looking the other way. <laughs> Wasn't we assumed we couldn't could we couldn't see his head at that point, but right. <laughs> so romantic. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah. I enjoyed it far more than I thought it was going to. Mm-hmm. It was uh, the sort of place where your neighbours are, what, a quarter of a mile away? And I yeah. don't think there was even anybody there for most of the time that we were there. Mm-hmm. So you go out into the yard, and I took a photograph of it and posted it on the on the Twitter. You could hear nothing. Mm-hmm. Which was nice. It was just so relaxing. I got some writing done, and got a lot of reading done. Not, had, well, not so much reading done. You had to ruin it by <laughs> watching Coronation Street. I watched and, Coronation Street. And, um, Classic Coronation and, Street. And Late Night with Stephen Colbert. And I don't think I watched any of that, did I? I think so. Or, or it oh, was Seth the Myers, other guy. You were Seth watching Myers. Seth Meyers, yeah. You know, so it's this, this beautiful outdoor scene. And then all of a sudden you hear... The deer look up. <laughs> is Deirdre still in it? <laughs> the bear stands up on his hind legs and says, Wall? <laughs> That's kind of extension of what I was going for, but sure. It was good. Yeah, we saw a deer. We didn't. We were warned that there were bear, but we didn't see any bear, unfortunately. No, it did put I me do, off. I do love it. At night, because it was a sort of place where there's no light pollution. I thought the stars mm-hmm. are going to be incredible, but... It wasn't that great. Well, unfortunately, uh, like the one night that we were going to stay out and build a campfire and make s'mores and everything, we had a mahoosive thunderstorm. Yep, lost power. I'd, I'd already built the fire, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd built a log cabin fire in the fire pit. and This was horror movie stuff just waiting to happen, to, by the way. Because, didn't get to light it. Because when we're looking out, and like I said, there's there's no light pollution, so mm-hmm. it, it's pitch black. Yes. And you can't even see the rain falling, it's that dark. Yeah. And then the lightning would flash. And you would see everything. And it's and it's suddenly just for a fraction of a second, it's broad daylight. Mm-hmm. All it needed is like for it to flash a, up and a, to be a serial some, killer walking somebody from standing the woods. right. Or just standing <laughs> right up against the, the window. Absolutely. The the idea of it was making me shit myself. And then, uh, and then the power went out in the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. And because we had well water, that meant we had run out of, but no running water either. Yeah. So. And it got very, very quiet and very, very still. And the air up in the loft was quite sticky mm-hmm. and still. But let's focus on it was still a good break. We enjoyed <laughs> ourselves, right? We did. We did. I didn't get as much hiking done as I'd wanted to because for some reason I kept falling asleep. It was just so relaxing. It was very relaxing. And we went and saw uh, Roadrunner, the new uh, documentary about Anthony Bourdain, mm-hmm. and had a very interesting discussion afterwards. Yes. Yeah. We, we ate very good food. We, uh, we bought some meat from a from mafia gangsters. front. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who offered us wine, which we politely declined. Neither one of us are drinking at the moment, but it was. <laughs> now we were in that store for maybe ten minutes. Uh-huh. I think we could talk about that encounter for maybe an hour and a half. Yes, <laughs> whole whole articles could be written about that encounter. Mm-hmm. But they did 
sell us a couple of fantastic yes. New York strip steaks. Which we were ma- which we managed to grill before the thunderstorm. Right. With some lovely fresh freshly picked green beans and fingerling potatoes from the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. And Cadillac. Yeah. Yeah, it was good stuff. It was good stuff. And I bought a Dobby. Or you bought a Dobby for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Has Dobby eaten that yet? No. Okay. Because I took one picture of Dobby and Dobby together, and then Dobby went upstairs and is sitting on my nightstand, and Dobby stays downstairs and is not allowed upstairs. Oh, where's David? Who? David the dog. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Shitting in the street. Like the animal he is. <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that recreational <laughs> coding news. Shirley Houston has opened up about what life has been like for her in real life during lockdown. Corey has helped bring to light what disabled people have gone through, but Shirley has stated it's been even worse in real life, with even her dog needing to be sanitized after walks, as as well as her vegetables and stuff. Poor dog. Can you imagine being sprayed down every time you go outside to take a poo? There's one thing that dogs do not like is to be sanitized. (laughs) They're against it. Yes. To protest it. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite heartbreaking, you know, to hear her talk about, especially now when a lot of restrictions and stuff Mm -hmm. have fallen and stuff. She really feels like the disabled community has kind of been left behind, you know, with people not realizing that it's even vaccinated. It's still dangerous because even a breakthrough infection would be not as great as it would be for a a well and you know an abled person mm-hmm. so yeah because i kind of consider ourselves almost like control in the experiment mm-hmm. the things that as he was saying in the show yeah which kind of rings true with what she's saying in real life is kind of stuff that i think we felt a little bit mm-hmm. um maybe not um accented as much as as it was for her but you know you go through the the first few weeks of working from home, kind of hating it and feeling claustrophobic and, mm-hmm. and stuff and wanting to get out, you get used to it and then you, you kind of go full 180 on it. Mm-hmm. And then the idea of going out is and, yeah. go, and going back to work and yeah. being amongst 4,000 people in a building is, And sending your kids back is, to school. It's terrifying. Yeah. I'm just so fortunate that all of our kids are over the age of 12. I can't imagine, I can't imagine what people right. with kids under the age of 12 are going through. Yeah, so I think it's something that we you can probably relate to a little bit, but yeah. it's just extended even even, even more for because she's you know in the past eighteen months she's only been out of the house once and that was go- to go to a doctor's appointment. Right, and the longer that goes on, yeah, the bigger of a problem it becomes. Right, absolutely. Oofed. Uh, so we really feel for her and for all of the disabled community. Absolutely. Out there. Ugh. Be good neighbors, folks. Yes. Yes. And in some situations, still wear a mask. I still wear a mask occasionally when I'm when I'm going to be, you know, within close contact of a lot of people. Like I quite miss not having a mask just to hide my expression sometimes. <laughs> well, you can put one back on. The CDC recommends still wearing them even mm-hmm. if you're vaccinated in indoor situations. So moving on. Kasim Akhtar is making a comeback to the cobbles as Zidane Nazir. 
Considering the character couldn't be bothered to show up to his ex-wife's funeral <laughs> or to support his gran after her abuse story, we can only fear for Alia and Yasmin's safety. What's he got an ingrown toenail? That's why he's back. How how bad? What what has he gotten himself into? What has become so bad that he's finally forced to come home? Because he was in Australia, wasn't he? I think he was he was touring Australia. He got married and they went to Australia. I'm sure. They, right. they made him go as far away as possible. Right. He was in Australia and to then make he it was as impractical as possible for him somewhere to come else. Home. He was like somewhere on the continent for a while too. Was he? Wasn't he like in Spain or something when he got married? Because that's where they went. They went to Spain that's for his like, wedding. Or they were going to. And then they didn't. Or did one of that, them go? Yeah, you know, I mean, Tim's dad were meant to go and then didn't. Right. I but I think anyone else went. But I think afterwards, Yasmin and Alia said, no, fuck it, we're going to go, or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah that could be right. Yeah. That could be right. Still. So he's back now. Yeah. Or he's coming back. He's making a comeback. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You better have a good excuse. <laughs> That's all I can say. Finally, in clutching your pearls news, oh. Corey has received more Ofcom complaints than anything else on British television. More than Emmerdale... Or love and Love Island combined. Well, yeah, Corey has received three hundred in the past five years. Emmerdale fifty-two, Love Island seventy-three. Most of these complaints are due to drugs, booze, and smoking. Smoking, so, smoking <laughs> is now banned on Love Island. So, I guess I, I think it kind of attests to the audience. I think more I people say, yeah. watch Coronation Street with the whole family in front of the TV. Right. As opposed to Love Island. It's got to have something to do with it. Right. And uh, and there being more episodes to complain about mm-hmm. sort of thing. All that's going to... But still, come on, effect. guys. Oh, no, there's a pack of cigarettes on the table. I'm going to write and complain about this. Mm-hmm. Apparently, apparently, smoking is now banned on Love Island, unfortunately. Smoking. <laughs> Sexually transmitted diseases or not. Right. So <laughs> That's Corey News. Smoking the booby, still allowed. <laughs> as at time of recording. And now... This? No. And now, we'll podcast for coffee. Thanks to Jules, who bought us this week's coffee. Thank you, Jules, for my birthday, birthday coffee. Birthday coffee. Birthday coffee. <laughs> birthday coffee. Has a tune, apparently. <laughs> what are you drinking out of today? I'm drinking out of my uh, my fancy Talk of the Street mug. Ooh. That's got the little banner that we use on the Twitter and the YouTube and Facebook and all that. Now, can people buy that mug, my they, darling? They, they can't. They can't? Not yet. No? I had to go through another. <laughs> that, that's a cafe press mug, but thanks for pointing that out. Um <laughs> Which leads me down a, a tangent that I really don't want to go down. <laughs> not yet. Okay. I'd need to combine the store somehow. I'm not too sure how to do that. And quite frankly, it's not worth the effort. Hmm. But it's a nice mug. Yeah. What are you drinking out of? <clears throat> Sorry, I have coffee in my mouth. Uh, my my black Labrador mug that I stole from my father. Huh. I didn't steal it. I, I, I took it. You but took it, wasn't. it, yeah. It's... Wasn't pretty, really yeah, you stole it. Well, I took it because we thought he was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how we laughed. 
So, Jules writes, just finished listening to the Dollywood episode recorded during your vacation. Love your podcast, and tonight I was laughing at how much you were both yawning instead of laughing at the Corey stories. Have a caffeine hit on me, belatedly, from Jules. I don't remember yawning during the, the Dollywood podcast. <laughs> no, no. I guess we must have. But I do remember it being quite echoey and, and stuff because we were in a hotel room. It did sound like we were in, scratching the microphone for some reason. In Nashville? Were we in Nashville? We were in Nashville, yeah. yeah. That was that hotel that at first I thought was quite sketchy because mm-hmm. of the neighbourhood. But it turned out to be all right. It was fine. It was fine. So thank you, Jules. Thank you for our coffees. We really appreciate it. If you want to buy us next week's coffee, you can do so by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And next week's coffee will be Gav's birthday coffee. Right. Oh, see, now you've made that competition. <laughs> Buy more coffee for Gav than you bought for me. <laughs> it's because fine. he does more for you all than I do. Oh. <laughs> He's the one who's constantly tweeting and making weird memes and s- some which don't even see the light of day. Right. And just like the working, one last night. Which was just too good. That that was the problem. You did too good of a photoshopping job. But <laughs> Yeah, after photoshopped Hope's face. Onto Drew Barrymore's face from the Firestarter poster, which mm-hmm. I, th- I think is a joke that's a little too obvious anyway. And but it was just far too good. Yeah, <laughs> you just, couldn't tell it was photoshopped. It was no. You did such a good job. So yeah, Gav deserves more coffee than I do. Oh well. Although I have I'm been sitting up a little <laughs> more proudly in my seat now. Although I have been, you know, tweeting more from the talk of the street. Twitter page now that I've been banned from Twitter again. Seriously, it's all that Holocaust denial. Just cut it out. I'm not allowed to share items that I'm selling on my Mercari site, but Marjorie Taylor Greene is still allowed to tweet about how vaccines are fake and the devil. Marjorie, three names. Anyway, let's move on. That's fine. Whatever. Hindsight corner. We haven't done. This year, last I know we do that last. Oh, do we? But let's let's talk about the running order, <laughs> shall we? Last week, I said that automatic transmissions aren't a thing in the UK. According to Autocar.co.uk, automatics accounted for fifty-four percent of UK new car sales in the first nine months of twenty twenty. Electric mm. and hybrid cars are thought to be partially responsible for this trend, uh-huh. and manual transmission new cars could be a thing of the past in the next ten years. And I went onto Facebook. My, mm-hmm. my personal Facebook and say, right. really? And all my friends in the UK said, yeah. yes. <laughs> so there we go. You've, you've finally you finally entered the 20th century. It's just a, the, the most sensible way to drive a car. UK police body cam regulations. Ah. You were complaining because the copper seemed to switch on on a whim. Right. Or like halfway through the altercation. Right. Body-worn cameras, when used by the police, are switched on and off at the officer's discretion in the Ooh, UK. Oh, ouch. Police officers must make it clear when they're turning the camera on before they begin to film or if the camera is already recording. There are no specific laws or regulations covering the use of body-worn cameras. Well, get on that, UK. Yeah, that's got to change. That's got to change. And you know what? It's going to take a horrible, horrendous event is going to have to happen to change that. Yeah. And then it'll change You're going to have to have your own George Floyd and it's right. got to be something that is recorded by other people. Right. Yeah. 
And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about that woman with that typewriter. That woman with that typewriter that would be uh, Murder, She Wrote. Is mm-hmm. that woman with that typewriter? That's who yeah. that is. This was said by... Uh, Tim. That's right, this was said by Tim, suggesting that Faye and Sally's investigation of Tim's dad made them like Angela Langsbury. That Murder, woman she wrote. with that typewriter. Mm-hmm. Jessica Fletcher. Yes. For some reason, this is one of my favourite Talk of the Street episodes ever. <laughs> Just when I was doing this, I, I really enjoyed this one. Oh, I was Gavin, and you had no words. Why did I have no words? Oh, I just don't think you could think of a thing to say. Ah. You will insist on doing sums in your head, and then told me what happy we tuna dishwasher plays when it finishes. Yes, Beforella by <laughs> Schumann. <laughs> this week's rabbit hole for me was that chapter, the true crime YouTube channel by the wee Irish dude that you're convinced is American. <laughs> Thanks to the mask situation, the whole world was my KFC drive through <laughs> And we kicked off our merch store last year. Oh, We've sold, I think, three t-shirts. <laughs> Buy more merch. <laughs> buy more merch. Not our mug, but buy more merch. Yeah, you can buy a so mug, right? Yeah, but it's a black and white one. It's the old logo. Right. I make a mug with a logo on it and then promptly change the logo. <laughs> it makes no sense. Sarah is left in a quandary regarding Gary saving her life and Adam bugging her continually about watches and Rick the Chin. Abby is made to feel like a bad mother by allowing the twins to start a new life in Australia. Leanne meets an old acquaintance from her antenatal days and finds herself lying about Oliver's health. Tim's mum is accosted on the street by Tim's dad and then disappears, while Sally and then Faye continue to air their suspicions to an unlistening Tim. Kirk speedy spoke scratchings. Gemma sits in front of some very unfortunate lighting at the chip shop. That's the cock that looks like a fish. Our moment of the week was... Or the fish that looks like a cock. The siege of Speeddal. Alia calling Tim's dad a small man and waving a broom at him. And our boring moment of the week was people shouting at an absent Cathy. Because <laughs> Cathy wasn't in the store and people kept on going into the store shouting, okay. Okay, I'll just leave the yeah, change on the counter for the you. Here. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Oh, yes, please. Now, we have one extra episode to do this week because yes. we didn't do Friday last the week. last time we did this. Yes. So, I'm going to... This will not be a problem next week, though, guys. So, don't worry about it because we're not leaving for Gav's birthday weekend until Saturday morning. Yeah, and I'll get all this done. Yeah, so you'll actually get this early. Maybe. Yeah, maybe a few hours early. Yeah. Yep. So, I've, I've summarised Friday... Okay. And one block for each okay. storyline where it featured. So, our first storyline today is Where There's a Will. On Friday, Billy and Summer aren't regretting grass and Todd up to the cops and are black bagging him. He and Eileen wash their hands of Todd, who thinks he can waltz back into his mum's house after Billy chucks him out. Meanwhile, Gemma tells Paul that he deserves better than Billy, just in case the horny archdeacon comes sniffing around for his hole. Mm-hmm. Todd got community service and tries to apologise to Billy, who takes back his keys and throws back his ring. But not like that. Thank you. Summer is chatting with Addy in the community garden and they share an apple cider together. Yes. A hard cider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we just call it cider Yeah, in the UK. Do, do you get soft cider over there? It's not called apple juice. No, because apple juice is different. Apple juice is clear. Cider is dark and mysterious. No, or apple juice looks like pee. Yeah. 
the apple juice here in America looks like pee. All apple juice looks like pee. Right. But that's not cider. Apple cider looks different than apple juice. Anyway, <laughs> Todd goes to see the undertaker who totally sees through Todd's bravado and realises that through the quips he's in pain and he convinces Todd to stay and face it out. Billy meets Paul and apologises, but Paul seems unmoved by this point that Billy was quick to believe Todd and quick to d- dismiss him. He tells Billy he deserves I loved, better. I loved uh, the whole, you know, can I buy you a, a, a brew? Mm-hmm. Buy you me know. a fucking dinner. Yeah, he's like, I'm hungry. Give me a fucking hot pot. <laughs> right. Good job, Paul. Later, Todd learns from Addy that someone was upset after a cider and she rushed home, so Todd rushes back to the flat after her and has to kick the door down and find Summer passed out again, this time on the floor. Right, that she that she wasn't feeling well and she had a headache. Right. Billy and Paul learn about the Summer situation and they all convene in the hospital where Paul and Todd argue and Billy pretends that he's not absolutely turned on by this. <laughs> he tells Todd to fuck off, but Todd has nowhere to fuck off to. Well, just fuck off then, says Billy. Yeah, seriously. He goes in to see Summer and learns how devastated this diabetes thing is to her and how she hates her life. Billy suggests that they move away because that'll solve the, pro- that'll solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. his problem. Right. Based on the response from Paul, he realises that he's not getting his hole anytime soon, so he doubles yep. down on Summer being his priority now. Right. Back in the street, <laughs> the Undertaker tells Todd that Billy might never forgive him, but Todd sees it differently. The Undertaker lets Todd sleep at the funeral parlour through the back with the corpses and Curtis. <laughs> And that was Friday. Okay, so into this week. On Monday, Todd's already got his sense of humour back, sleeping at the funeral parlour, but it's not a long-term solution for him, and he wistfully watches Summer and Billy get home from the hospital, but it's sensible enough to keep his distance. Eileen bumps into Todd and Undertaker at Roy's Rolls. Eileen tells Todd that Summer is fine, but to stay away. When mm-hmm. Todd leaves, the Undertaker tells her that Todd is sleeping with the corpses and Curtis and was thinking about <laughs> leaving. While when Eileen is nonplussed by this, the Undertaker tells her that Todd is a lost soul. Yeah. And he seems to, in his conversations with Eileen and with uh, Todd, he seems to allude to his own dark past, that he's he, yeah. he hasn't always been the fine, upstanding gentleman you see before you. He's made mistakes in his life. Yes. Which will explain why, when his dad ran the funeral parlor, we never saw him. <laughs> right. Yes. So well done by the writers for... <laughs> Right. <laughs> including George's dark past here. <laughs> Eileen, who doesn't work at the funeral parlour, goes round to the funeral parlour to turn to- Todd's credit card that he's maxed out that he left at Billy's. Privately, Todd tells Undertaker that he can't afford a place, so hopefully he still has some mates with whom to sofa surf. Oh, Eileen was great in that too, because she comes in and she's like, oh, I might be able to help that. And Todd thinks that this means that she's going to let him move back home. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, here's your card. Right. <laughs> Sick. Sick burn by the Eileen Meister. She keeps going round to see him, which makes you think that she's about to crack. Uh huh. And it's good that she doesn't. I wish she'd just not bother. Yeah. Just completely cut it off. Yeah. After work, the Undertaker invites Todd back to his place. And I like that. Eileen, who just so happens to be walking by very slowly, tells Todd to accept it. It's the only offer he's going to get. So Todd does that. Yes. And that kind of does it for this storyline, but then it kind of morphs into something else on Friday. Yes. Where Shona is outside her house with parking tickets and traffic cones. There's a oh, new... okay, this part, mm-hmm. not the Eileen-George part. I, I took all of that out, and we'll cover that later. Oh, fine. Uh, yeah, there's a new permit parking system on Inkerman Street, which is pushing overspill onto Coronation Street. And while she's explaining all this to David, who's sitting in the middle of the street in his convertible Ford Escort, I think. 
Todd nips in the, into David's space with the funeral hearse. You snooze, you lose, Todd the prick says. Yeah, he's not He's not trying to mend fences with anyone. Not at all. In fact, he's trying to... He's basically shutting more people out. Right. And annoying more people. Yeah. And he's not thought highly of anyway. No. It's like he pretends that he cares about all of this with with The Undertaker, but he still seems to feel like he's owed... Right. Getting back in Billy's pants and back in the good graces of everyone on the street. This part of him he really still doesn't exists. care. The bit of him that says sorry's for losers. Yeah. That seems to be still how he's operating. Yes. So Todd comes into Roy's Rolls and Shona promptly bars him. Todd points out that her parking tickets amount to fraud. Roy calms the situation by making the woman clean tables. <gasps> when Todd gets back to his house, Shona has covered it in what I hope is shaving foam. <laughs> Or squishy cream. I hope it's shaving cream. I hope no Davids were milked for that. <laughs> Oof. Either human or otherwise. Oh, that's even worse. Oh, no. That's even worse. David, the dog's been neutered, hasn't he? Oh, let's hope so. And plunked a traffic cone on the hood of the car. Right, it looks like that statue in Glasgow. Yep, the Duke of Wellington. Yes. Shona's trying to get David to move his car into the vacant spot now that Todd has moved his hearse, but he's just taken it away to get it cleaned. And he's parked it back outside number yeah, eight how, and posted the bill through the letterbox. How how did he manage to do that so quickly? Who knows? Because he drove off. He supposedly got like the supreme wash mm-hmm. wherever he went to get it washed. Like all the bells and whistles, all the fancy waxes and stuff for the undercarriage. Oh, fancy. Oh, undercarriage wax. But not like that. Yeah. <laughs> So it can't, it can't possibly have had enough time to get all of that done and then come back and park the hearse again for, for the amount of time it took Shona to run to the barbers to grab David to move his car. Why didn't she just grab his keys and move it herself? Right. That would have been better. <laughs> Sarah meets up uh, with Todd in the Rovers. David has given instructions for Todd to shove the bill up his arse. Right. right. Up his arse. Up his arse. We haven't done that in a while. No, we haven't. Sarah advises Todd that he should be in the business of building bridges here and not being a total fucking prick to everyone. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. So, Billy is maintaining his uh, anti-Todd stance for now. Yes. How long do you think that's going to last before he's just so... This is the bit that just cracks me up. It's like when he's sexually sitting... frustrated that he just needs to take him back it'd be better with a hole in the ground it, or his uh, own hand as, he, as as many ministers of the cloth have done for centuries just do you father, have to explain it the father the son and the holy ghost hmm? well <laughs> i'm not sure that's that's strictly canon but um <laughs> His bullshit when he's like with Summer. Yeah. It's you and me now, kid. Yeah. You and me against the world. Yeah. How she hasn't had a total fill of him by now, by continually, you know, Paul was innocent, right? Yeah. But Paul was his, was Billy's boyfriend. Yeah. And Billy brought Paul home yes. with Summer. Yes. And then Paul's kicked to the curb and in comes Todd mm-hmm. and then Todd's kicked to the curb. There's a common denominator here mm. that is Billy. Right. That Billy attracts this. Yeah. And 
is really the, the cause for all this. Mm. And summer, it's you and me, whether you like it or not. Right. Well, summer is very much Billy's mini-me, as we will see. Oh, yeah. She's she's not... She very much has his personality. She also has a stick up her earth. She does. Yes. It was nice, though, that Todd managed to find some... Uh, you know, he was always going to find a companion somewhere. He was always going mm-hmm. to find a, a welcoming ear and a shoulder to cry on mm-hmm. from somewhere. And it was nice that it was The Undertaker, I thought. Yeah. And... Todd's reaction to that was, well, you're just doing this because you want to get into my mom's pants. Right. And the Undertaker's like, so? Yeah. <laughs> so and, what? You know, and also it's it's apparent that that's not, that's not the whole story, you know, mm-hmm. there, you know. Yeah. And Todd is just projecting why he would do something nice. Right. Is to get into someone's pants. Right. So. Let's move on to our next storyline then because we've got a lot to get through. Next up is PC racism. Ugh. So on Friday, last Friday, Michael seems to be regretting getting his hole off of Grace, but insists that he isn't. She is totally loved up. Mm-hmm. Then Ronnie's back in the scene. Yay! Good to see Ronnie again. I it's thought they'd forgotten good. about Ronnie. It's great to see Ronnie. And they go to the <laughs> settle and they go to the <laughs> hospital to see James. They seem to make amends and we learn that Michael is less keen on the whole deal with Grace, uh, but thinks that they can make it work. James's operation has gone well, but now James is worried that two months out could spell the end of his career. Back home, Michael sees a hipster dude leave the house, and both the dude and Grace seem to have a spring in their step. In the house, Ronnie catches Michael going through Grace's phone and points out that the hipster dude guy is a baby grow supplier guy, and he tells her that he tells him that he needs to trust her. Michael reveals that he only got his hole off of her because that he was sad about the James situation. Which I think we could kind of tell, couldn't we? Yeah. On Monday then. Still, it doesn't it doesn't shed Michael in a very good light, does it? He's a guy. That's not an excuse. Well, puts it to be not a guy. On Monday, James and Michael are home from the hospital. Craig is across the street from them and can't even look them in the eye, never mind saying anything. Uh, It's good that he feels bad. I don't know if he even does at this point. James is on the couch continuing to worry about his place in the team when they get a visit from the professional standards copper wanting to speak to James about his complaint. Yeah, interesting choice of of copper there, I thought. It just seemed like, you know, they didn't go for a very, you know, a very obvious man or a very obvious woman. You know, this this was their, it seemed like their attempt to throw some some other letters of the alphabet in. Oh, I see. After examining the body cam footage, the cops can find no excessive force was used, but the Baileys weren't claiming excessive force. Rather, if they hadn't been racially profiled and pulled over, none of this would have happened. Right, yeah. It's like, well, we, yeah. It's like, well, we didn't find this thing. And it's like, well, we didn't. Nobody asked it. Nobody, yeah. They ask what Craig was able to confirm, but he's backed up PC racism. No harm, no foul, says a cop, who then goes on to hope that James recovers well because County really need a good striker. Right, yeah, they really need him. It's like, Come fuck yourself. But seriously, and this happens all the time to him. Right? Yeah. Oh well, you know you you've been yeah racially profiled, and we're no, not going to do anything about it. But I hope you're recovering, banging the goals for county like a good one. Right? Because yeah. Because that is what you are. Right. You are yeah. there to provide entertainment for me. 
Right. And not one thing else. Yeah. And I think this is... Um, Dance for me now. Right. And I think this is, uh, in real life, in the Euro finals, you know, you were called a racist for hoping that England would lose. Yeah. You know, because there are so many black people on on the team. So you must be racist because... I don't think that's that. why I was getting called a racist. Well... Anyway, I think it, I'll, I'll, I think a lot of people were, but then it was like the, the people, the, the black people on the team were like, no, you know, it doesn't really matter because if we win, people are going to racially profile us. If we lose, people are going to racially profile us. You know, we are here to perform and, you know, it, it happens in all aspects of um of sport Mm -hmm. in American football as well. I mean, this is why Colin Kaepernick can't get a, can't get a job as a footballer Mm -hmm. anymore. It's because he didn't stay in his lane as a performer. You know, he, he had the audacity to be a human being as well. Right. Yeah. The thing with the Euros was, and and always has been, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but Mm -hmm. if, if you're Scottish, you tend to support Scotland and whoever's playing England. Right, yeah. And that's rivalry. Right. And I'm the same with Alawa. I support Alawa and whoever's playing Stirling Albion. Mm-hmm. And Stirling Albion don't care. Right. Because they're worried about Falkirk. Right. And Falkirk don't care because they're concerned about Dunfermline. Yeah. This seems to be how rivalry, rivalries work. The little, the little fish doesn't really like the bigger fish. Mm-hmm. And the bigger fish doesn't know that the little fish exists. Right. The only case where that's not true is the Yankees and the Red Sox, but I digress. But there were a lot of people, you know, I was noticing on Twitter when when people were saying, oh, gosh, I hope England loses, that people were immediately saying, oh, you're racist just because you want them to lose because they're all black people. So that was out in the ether somewhere. It wasn't just rivalry. James is doing some stretches in the community garden, but not like that. Craig wonders... Craig wanders by, so James quizzes him on what he told the standards lady. Craig says that he could only say what he witnessed, but admits he didn't say that James wasn't driving erratically. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that he did see, right. or that he didn't see, he didn't see any erratic driving. Right. And he claims he wasn't asked either whether or not there was erratic driving going on, which could could very well be true that they're like, well... They normally say at the end of these things, is there anything else you want to tell us? Right. That kind of covers anything that I haven't specifically asked about. Right. Hmm. Mm. Craig insists that he was impartial and refuses to discuss it further, but admits that he and Michael aren't violent as PC racism claimed, something else that he didn't tell the standards lady. Mm-hmm. Then PC racism is getting in his car at the station when Craig shows up. PC racism is chuffed that the complaint was closed. Now, Craig wonders how it got into the report that the Baileys were aggressive. PC racism insists that he felt threatened, and typically, black folks are just being oversensitive about this. Right. But thanks for the support anyway, Craig. You're a star. Right. And, you know, and you never know with, quote unquote, those people, whether Mm. or not they're going to be aggressive. And just because you know them doesn't mean that they're not aggressive with people they don't know. Mm. And just shoving that spade well well down into the dirt to to dig his own hole there. With with Craig, so Craig now gets uh, yeah. A, any any doubt that he had about this is right. like, like oh, holy shit, what have I done now? Yeah. One would hope this guy really is racist. Right. Back home, Michael and James are lamenting cops sticking together. 
and then they get a visit from James's manager, who thinks it's a shame that the complaint wasn't upheld. Oh well, never mind. Just concentrate on getting better. Eh? Right. Yeah. Another one who's off the dance the for dance us. for me, and this just gets James's dander up. And although this was the way he was thinking himself, hearing it from someone else has put some fire in his belly. He's going to f- keep fighting, and he's going to appeal. Fuck yeah, says Michael. And that's sadly as far as we get with that this week. Yeah, it's funny how this this seems to keep happening, where James just doesn't care, doesn't want to be bothered, and then something happens that gets his dander up about in another way, and then it lights the fire. Right, and it's interesting in this uh, context because the thing that is getting him riled up is the thing that he wants himself. Right. Yeah. He wants to get better, and he wants to get. Uh, start banging in the goals for right, yeah. where they count it and to be to a success. Put his head down and, and, and move on. on. But being told that yeah. is what mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. that, that's that's the thing that, that's triggering them. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a nice touch. Yes. Any other thoughts on this one? I, I felt <sighs> it was a bit of a shame that we only really got officially we got Monday this week on it and then yeah. nothing really else. Yeah. I I mean I feel like our complaints on the storyline have already been well made. Well, well made and well aired. I'm almost a little bummed that it seems like Craig has seen the error of his ways so quickly. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that mm-hmm. doubling down even further because you'd think that he would. Right. I'm still hoping that it makes him see other situations that he has been in with the police in a different light. You know, other times that he's been around when somebody has pulled a black person over in their car and he didn't know them so he didn't have that emotional attachment to the situation right. and maybe seeing and doesn't things. know if they're good lads right but even if they're not they shouldn't be treated that way exactly i think from a human point of view it's good that he's had this realization so early from a dramatic point of view i don't think it does anything no because he's it's, it just makes the story God a nothing him. burger again right. because and it doesn't and it seems like everybody else's problems with racism you know have turned away you know we, we don't see tim still wrestling with his white privilege right anymore now that steve has made his right dramatic speech about white privilege come yeah. on steve it is now a a, a point of contention between james and non-regular characters right once again Mm-hmm. God bless him. Craig's not an interesting character. There's nothing that he's he's not he's not. No. He's periphery the the policeman that we need to have to Right. Yeah, to the local people not, not, the all local Bobby. Stuff. Right. Having him by the book mm-hmm. it doesn't really do very much. No. It, it doesn't I'm 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 okay about not being a complete dirty cop, but this was a an aspect that would have been quite interesting to develop. Right. I thought that yeah. here's Craig who you thought was kind of nothing, but oh my god, he's he's yeah. a, he's a little bit racist. And there's a lot of people that are a little bit racist. Right. Yes. There's even a song from the musical Avenue Q right. called "Everyone's a Little Bit Racist." Right. Because so it's he, true. So to see that, mm-hmm. I think would have been a bit more interesting than them. Yes. Quickly managing to resolve this yes. internal strife. And, yeah. Yeah. Let, let's move on then to our next story, which was just from Friday past. Sign of the times. I almost didn't even mention it. 
Mm. On Friday, Gemma's been talking to Frida Yay! and has arranged to meet a new sign language teacher. Yay! Jez remains unconvinced. And when the teacher comes, she doesn't speak mm-hmm. like Frida speaks. Right. Because Frida's deaf, obviously. Right. But she still speaks right. for the, the benefit of the people who aren't deaf and can hear her. Right. But this teacher doesn't do that. Right. And I think that's kind of kind of the point to give, you know, Chesney some immersive mm-hmm. where he has instruction to. where he, yeah. Because he's lost. Yes. He's very lost. He still hopes that the cochlear implants will mean that he doesn't have to learn sign language. Right. And this <laughs> means that Gemma becomes unsure that they're doing the right thing again. So she takes Frida and the unnamed teacher to Roy's Rolls, where they all slowly discuss the pros and cons of the cochlear implant again and the implications to Alad and his future and Chesney's understanding of the situation. The teacher asks, whose life are they hoping to improve here? Right. Whose life are they hoping to make easier? Is it Alad's or is it their own? Right. And that's a very good question to be asking so there's here. A, now, because this is, to, this is totally, this is why Chesney is pushing so hard. If he, if Chesney had learned bsl as easily as Gemma had they wouldn't be having this conversation but because something is hard for poor chesney <laughs> he's like well, he's not even trying that's something it's too hard for me to do so it's not important for me to learn so i'm gonna you know avoid it at all costs you'll still need to learn even with the cochlear implants you'll still need to learn bsl chesney but he's watching Gemma and he's uh-huh. seen Gemma when obviously there is no storyline going on mm-hmm. right so for weeks he's seen Gemma and Gemma is doing yeah. the bits of the signing as she's talking when she's right. talking to everybody right which is how she's learning right and she's makes doing sense, and, right? and she's taking it to it like a duck to water but Chesney must be looking at her like she's just scratching her head or or fixing her bra or something it's right like, <laughs> is Chesney really this dense you you pick it up from right. through imitation and right. from seeing somebody else doing it. Yes, and he's just <laughs> he just seems incapable. Right, and it's it it does kind of feel like part of his incapability is the fact that he just doesn't want to bother. Right, he doesn't want to bother, and I, I think also he doesn't want to admit that he has to that it's even an issue. Yeah, he's kind of a dick. He's been a bit of a dick about it. There was yeah. a moment in the in the cafe where the the because the, the whole scene is played out so slowly yeah. because everyone's speaking slowly to each other and, right. and stuff. But there's a moment where the teacher is doing the sign that towards mm-hmm. the end of the scene, and it takes a little while to do, and then Frida says, "Good point," mm-hmm. and I was just like, "Because <laughs> you have no idea what the point was. It right. was just be made but until then, she says it." Yeah. And I kind of liked that. I kind of like, I know there were some complaints that there were no subtitles. Oh, people complained about it? Yes. Oh, jeez. Um, but I kind of like that because it kind of, it puts you right. off balance and it makes you realize what it's like mm-hmm. for people who BSL is their only form of communication, <laughs> you know, or reading lips. Yeah. People are like, well, they put, they put subtitles when people are speaking a foreign language bsl is a foreign language why aren't they doing the subtitles for the bsl well sometimes they don't and that's <laughs> and that's um you know, rather than having someone speak english in a russian accent mm-hmm. sometimes you hear people speak russian and you, you don't know what they're talking about yes and that's kind of deliberate yeah and it's, it's fun not, it's not a mistake yeah 
It's not, right. oh shit, we forgot to put the subtitles in on that. Right. I'm, no, I'm doing that for a reason. Yeah. It's <laughs> why it's kind of nice to, when you're watching a foreign movie, to watch it with the subtitles as opposed to like the dubbing. Because then you feel more immersed. Right. And when you see the subtitles come up, then you see a couple of words that you know the right. Spanish for or the French for. Yeah. And you listen out for them. Right. And then you don't hear them. And you go, <laughs> oh, I just listened to the dubbing. <laughs> Are they, are they lying to me? Because <laughs> I know what the, the French for uh, traffic jam is and they didn't say it. Uh-huh. Well, maybe there's another slang Amboytage. form of traffic jam. And the only reason I know it's Amboytage is from Vanessa Paradis' Jula Taxi. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Remember when we played that in New Orleans? That's one of my favourite memories of all time. That was so great. I, think I do love that. Story. I do love that. That's that. It's one of my favourite memories as well. Now we have to tell it. So we're in a... a <laughs> we're in a bar in New a Orleans. bar in New Orleans. And I think we're, we're probably the only people there. I'm having a whiskey and a, and a beer. Mm-hmm. And we're cause it's so bastard and hot outside. It is. In come American family. Or who we think is American family because the guy is big and tall and is loud and American. And, and also we're in America. And, and making misogynistic comments about women who drink whiskey. And I think... I think he must be married to someone who was French. Yes. And her sister and her sister's husband are also French. Yes. And they're all speaking French. Right. And then there's this one big loud American guy who's misogynistic. He doesn't really like the fact that they're speaking French. Yeah. And he's trying to have conversations with them and they're just kind of smiling smiling politely. And nodding. So they're not from Paris then. They're smiling (laughs) politely. And and then they're having a little conversation in in French. So... Mm -hmm. I got onto the, the mobile uh, jukebox and throw Jola yes. Taxi on. <laughs> and on, honestly, these French people who were looking kind of miserable... And bored. ...just lit up and started singing along a Jola Taxi. And dancing. Dancing in the bar. <laughs> and they were kind of, who put this on? And I was like, put Hi my ya. hand up. And we had a little, quick little exchange in French. And we're having just the, the time of our lives. And this guy is just... Absolutely fucking fizzing. Right, <laughs> yeah, because he thought he was like in control of the situation. Right. No, I was no. an asshole. <laughs> I decided to be in control. Anyway, that was, ah, just, that was just a wonderful thing. It Moving was on. delightful. Our next storyline this morning is Izzy struggling on yeah. Monday. Yes, Izzy is. Sarah calls Izzy on FaceTime just as Kirk mumbles along and tells Sarah that he's off to j- deliver the Joe LaFoe order. But Izzy's working on that order. When is he coming over to her place? And Sarah panics and hangs up, leaving Izzy to wonder just what the fuck all that was about. No, uh, she says, oh, yeah, 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 he's, he's, he's on his way in a little bit. Don't worry about it. Hang up. Her weird neighbour rushes off for biscuits. Sometime later, Izzy calls back to check that Kirk picked up her work. He did. She asks if they're happy with it. Sarah confirms that they were. It was great. Thanks very much. Check it. Yeah, you haven't opened it, have <laughs> says you? Says Izzy. So Carla opens the box. And it's full of crumpled up newspaper. Mm-hmm. What's going on here, says Izzy. Carla says this is down to Izzy not admitting that she wasn't coping. Yeah. So Izzy hangs up and Carla and Sarah bicker over whose fault this really is. Sally intervenes and tells them to stop using Izzy to score points and come up with a solution to this shit show. Yeah. So on Wednesday... Well done, Sally, by the way. Yep. And I loved Sally just putting especially Sarah putting Sarah in her place <laughs> like, saying, you know... I knew you when you were shitting in nappies. So. <laughs> And Carla seems to enjoy that as well. 
So Wednesday, Izzy is still ignoring contact from the factory. Sally suggests sending some chalks, but Beth reckons she should just go over herself for fuck's sake. Kirk recognises that Izzy has had a hard time of it. Sarah wants to pull together with Carla to get this fixed. And following this, Sarah and Carla manage to bury the hatchet. Izzy calls and Carla apologises for giving her fake work. No one meant to offend her and we thought that we were doing her a favour. Mm-hmm. Izzy thinks that they don't reckon that she's up to the job. They try to persuade her otherwise, insist that they care and want to do the right thing by her. Izzy explains her stresses over the last year with Bobby McGee coming home from school, doing stuff herself, damaging herself. She seems to be kind of dislocating things. She's been terrified she's been going to catch COVID and there was no getting away from it. And she's spent so mm-hmm. long being told that she's vulnerable. Right. That even now that she's vaxxed, she's finding it hard to get back to normal. Right. And it's a very moving scene. Yes. And yeah, I've this this solves my complaint when this storyline first op- opened up that a lot of people were kind of telling Izzy's story for her. Mm-hmm. So now we finally get Izzy telling her own story, right. which is very nice. That people telling the story for mm-hmm. Izzy makes hearing Izzy's story finally far more impactful. Yes. So it was right. all for the greater good. You know, and, and she's right. It, the whole world is opening back up and everybody's like, oh, you're fine, you're vaxxed. And it's like, eh. Am I? Am I really? Imagine being essentially in prison. Yeah. For that length of time. Right. Not even going out for recreation. No. And then you're told that, okay, everything's fine now, you can go back to work. Right. It's no. a huge, yeah. It's a huge change in your lifestyle and your um, and y- the, your mental capacity to deal mm-hmm. with that is, is really tested. And all the assistance that you were being given because of of COVID that you really kind of needed before COVID, but were never given, mm-hmm. but are now because it's a global pandemic. Right. And then having that taken away again, it's kind of like, well, it feels like you're you, the the world is still not grasping. The situ- what the world is like mm-hmm. for the disabled community. We've been told uh, we will be given 30 days notice mm-hmm. from when we'll be required to go back in on a, on a part-time basis. Mm-hmm. So it's a Monday and a Friday because of course it is, because those are the, the days that you wouldn't want to go in, right. the days that they want you in. Right. But they've given us 30 days notice for it. And it's 30 days notice, they've said, to get child care mm-hmm. or whatever sorted out get your your house in order and your ducks in a row and everything right. before you have to go back and also to get over the mental hurdle of of doing this right i'm not going to ask you to do it tomorrow mm-hmm. this is what's going to happen in 30 days time get used to it yeah i don't think you can complain about that but mm-hmm. even so it's still it's still going to be so weird as a fairly healthy person right Going back into that environment, even right. just for for one, one and a half days and out of the week. you know, with things like the Delta variant and everything, it, it, it still really feels like the world is still up in the air. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, as I, as I said before, the CDC is now recommending that even vaccinated people start wearing masks again indoors. So it's like, well, okay. It kind of was getting used to not having to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And now you want me to do it again. And one of the reasons why you want me to do it again is because of all of these idiots out here running around who refuse to get vaccinated. And there is a part of you that says, do I really want to inconvenience myself for people who are willfully putting themselves 
in danger. And I mean, there are a lot of people like people who are disabled and unable to get the vaccine and children under the age of 12 who are still vulnerable. And so you want to do it for them. But, mm. you know, it's it is still very much a crazy world. And it's it's nice to see the show kind of acknowledging that yep. finally. Carla is explaining that Izzy stuffed to Peter in the Rovers because Peter's back. Yes, we knew that. Remember? Oh. He's, he's a... It's almost like having a new character. He's a vampire. Oh, that explains it. Right, yes. So he's also <laughs> sleeping with Curtis and, and right. Todd in the funeral <laughs> home. He tells her to tread carefully. He's also been thinking about his own future and his desire to make people proud of him to use this second chance properly. He wants to start something new. Mm -hmm. That takes us to the end of that storyline for this week. Interesting. Yeah, you'd think you'd think Carla and Peter, two people who have had organ transplants and so have had to be doubly careful, would be more sympathetic to Izzy. But it seems like Carla is like the least sympathetic. Well, she was supposed to be super not sympathetic. Right. And that didn't really work out. No. It didn't make sense. Because people were like people like if this is how this storyline's going to go, this is totally not Carla. Right. And thankfully they backed away from that and they yes. turned her down and it turned out to be more a conflict between her and Sarah that right. was kind of the, the, the root of this. Who can deal with this problem better like a right. proper manager? Yes. Was kind of what that storyline became. Right. But when it became about Izzy again, you know, she's she's as sympathetic as you would expect from an employer, I guess. Mm-hmm. Then again, you know, as, as, as we and other people have pointed out and complained about in the show they seem to forget carla's oh, <laughs> transplant right. and tracy's transplant and seb's hiv mm-hmm. positive you know don't have to remember that anymore no you know they, they, they seem to forget people's disabilities mm-hmm. invisible disabilities when it's convenient to them <sighs> kind of part kind of, of for all the, world the time sometimes yeah i oh, know i thought they did it great um it was an interesting point that uh, Izzy doesn't want to be treated as a fucking charity here. No. It's like, treat me like a... If I'm doing something wrong, tell me I'm doing something wrong. Right. If you expect more from me, tell me that you expect more from me. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you how my situation is. And right. We'll, we'll, and how we'll much I can do. Right. Yeah. Let's work on this together. Right. Communication is, seems to be the, the key is, to this problem. Which is again. good, you know, especially since before Izzy seemed to not want to talk about it and not confront it and mm-hmm. hang up on people all the time. So it's good that she has also realized that she needs to communicate as well. Right. What do you think of Fergus? I don't like him. I still don't like him. He's too weird. That's her husband in real life. Is it? Yes. In that case, I'll that's, love him. That's why he's That's why he's allowed to be in the scenes with her. That would make sense. <laughs> yeah. Remember, we talked about this on Corey News. I, 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 I do recall. I do pay attention to Corey News. I do. <laughs> what do you think of him? He is a bit weird. I'm I'm happy that it seems like he's, t- he's taken a step back. Mm-hmm. He's less weird. He's not making from the telling Izzy's no. story, you know, and letting Izzy do right. the talking. So is he an actor, or yes. is he just right? Okay. Yes. Sure. I think his real name in real life is Toby something. Toby Maguire. Not Toby Maguire. Doesn't look like Toby Maguire. No, Toby Maguire is a bit taller. Are you sure it's Toby Maguire? And or Orlando Bloom. Darker hair. Our next storyline this morning is the two Undertakers. <laughs> On Wednesday, the Undertaker is entertaining a woman with various classical biscuits at the funeral parlor. Yes, and she's fantastic. She is so and glam. We want more of her, please. This was. Um, I I don't recall. 
the last time that a a, a, a character that wasn't like an Emma, right? You know, the the, the kind of cutesy character has uh-huh. such a oh, that's she's just so lovely, right? Mm-hmm. The first we see this woman, she's got her feet up on the table and she's not wearing shoes, and her yeah. tights are very close to the the biscuits. Yeah, and she's sitting chatting away with George, and I'm like, I am I'm totally here for her now, yeah. uh, instantly. <laughs> and then I go online. And everyone feels the same way. Yes. <laughs> it's like, More of this, please. Right. Also, it seems like Coronation Street has been listening to people like us and uh, script to scene, the, aka the Twitter feed, formerly known as the Ben Price fan page, mm-hmm. who has said, hey, if you're going to have these kind of walk-in characters, why don't we put more <laughs> black people in those walk-in characters? Because we got two of them. We got the uh, the other that the other deaf woman mm-hmm. was black and this woman is black right. and they were fantastic right. and they were fabulous and more of this please in comes Eileen who doesn't work at the funeral parlour again supposedly looking for Todd he's not there she quickly leaves mm-hmm. in Roy's roles the undertaker explains that the woman he was speaking to is a fellow the undertaker yes. Eileen pretends not to care and thinks that he hits on anyone with a gusset <laughs> oh it's quite specific. This is enough to get the Undertaker's blood flowing and he asks her out for dinner and she nonchalantly agrees. Yeah. So the Undertaker speaks to Mary about flowers for Eileen. I hate how she's getting involved Haven't in this. Haven't they had this conversation this about before. flowers already? She's far too happy to design the, perf- the perfect bouquet for him. Eileen is all dolled up as she wanders by the florist. Mary thinks that she's a dead ringer for Bonnie Tyler circa 1991. She was a bit. Eileen announces that she has reservations about the Undertaker because of his job and where his hands have been. <laughs> she wanders away and we learn... He wears gloves! That the Undertaker... He, he washes his hands! ...was in the florist and hears all this. He thinks she's repulsed by him, so he texts her to cancel. I'm reminded of a, a friend scene where uh, I think Rachel is dating a doctor or mm-hmm. a gynecologist. Oh, yeah. And... He comes home and she's keen uh-huh. to get it on. He's less keen. Mm-hmm. And she's a little upset. And, and he says, well, what do you do for a living? Mm-hmm. And she says, well, I'll serve coffee. And he says, well, don't you come home sometimes? You think, if I see one more cup of coffee. <laughs> Island has been cancelled and is on her own in the Rovers when the Undertaker and the female the Undertaker come in all cheery likes seems that he subbed the other Undertaker into Eileen's place for dinner. Mm-hmm. Eileen is outraged that she's been replaced by this floozy, she <gasps> shouts. The Undertaker reveals how he overheard her conversation with Mary. He calls her rude, cynical and unpleasant. And the female Undertaker fucks off after this. She's heard enough. Right, she's like, if she wanted to be in a fight with someone, <laughs> she would have stayed home with her husband. Right. Which I loved. Right. More of her, please. He's making model airplanes? Yes. Of course he is. Of course he is. Mary spots Eileen at her door and they have the conversation they've been having for months now about how they keep fucking this up with each other. So Mary goes to speak to the undertaker and insists again about the enigma that is Eileen who has lurched from one disaster to the next. So it's no wonder that she's got a hard skin. Eileen was in self-preservation mode earlier but was ready to take a chance on him. So the Undertaker goes round with his white flag to Eileen. <sighs> he apologises again and explains the confusion again and his defensive mechanisms again. again. And she accepts again. Again. He asks her out again, but she knocks him back. She's Let's damaged goods, she says. It's best that they just stay friends. Oh, this is so frustrating because this seems to happen every week. I know. Where they, they're, they're going to get together. And they then they get together a little bit. And then there's a communication problem. Uh-huh. Somebody says something that they 
and somebody assume, takes it wrong. Or somebody and, runs over a nun or somebody drops something right. or the Undertaker normally blows up about something right. you should be more calm about. And Right. And then it all falls to pieces. Mm-hmm. This is getting tiring. Please stop. It just needs to stop it. Please stop. Although we do want more of Helena. She's we, fantastic. We, we learn her name is Helena. Yes, she's fantastic. The female Undertaker. More of her, please. Mary meets up with Eileen and the Rovers to beat this dead horse a bit more. Mary suggests that she speaks with Undertaker, but Eileen reckons that she and happiness aren't destined for each other, and that's as far as we get with that this week. And that's really sad. Right. We want Eileen to be happy. We want Eileen to smash like the, that. this is the third time round this, or maybe the fourth time round it's this. Been it feels like it's been a while. 84 years. <laughs> and it feels like the payoff is kind of... Is, was almost worth it. It feels like it's not now. No. That if no. they get together now, it's, I don't, yeah. I, I feel Please like, stop. I feel like the good nature of it. Yeah. Or our goodwill for the, yeah. the, the prospect of this has kind of flown out the window yeah. now. Bye, bye, bye. Why does Mary have to be the go-between here every single time when she had romantic leanings towards the Undertaker herself? Right. But once again, her sexuality has just turned completely off. Right. And she's uh, Serrano de Bergerac now, just right. going between the two. And uh, yeah, I, which is just it feels cruel. Justice for Mary, please. Can we please get Mary laid? Please, can we get Mary laid? I don't care who does it. Just somebody, please fuck Mary. I want her to be happy. Not not that fucking is the only way for a woman to be happy, by any means. And yes, Mary seems kind of happy being you know everybody's weird sidekick. But I just, I want Mary, Mary hasn't had her own storyline since she last saw her awful son. I want him back. He's awful. We don't want him back. He was fun though. You know who I do want back though? Her daughter-in-law and that wee baby. Probably not a wee baby anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Angie. Yeah. But she's. She's often much bigger things. Far bigger things now. (laughs) Yeah. Victoria is not coming back to coordination street anytime soon but yeah. still can we please give mary a boyfriend or a girlfriend and please 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 can we just give mary a good storyline of her own mm-hmm. please the show's better when she's in it yeah she's one of those characters where the show is better when she's in it right so let's make her a regular again and give her something yeah interesting to do because unlike poor craig who is peripheral and just kind of glues other people's storylines together mm-hmm. and is uninteresting mary has been made peripheral and glues other people's storylines together but she is very interesting and three-dimensional on her own right you know and they can't cop out and make her you know asexual or something because we know that she's had a sex life before in the past she talks about it all the time mm-hmm. we know she's into men yeah we we know that she has also she's very much into adam Dabbled into, you know, and Ben Shepherd, the, the the pleasures of Lesbos. Right. So, <laughs> please, let's just give hashtag get Mary laid. There we go. There's a hashtag. <laughs> Moving on, our next storyline this morning is courting summer. On Wednesday, Nina drops off Summer's bridesmaid's dress. She doesn't know what to do with it, but reckons that Summer might get some wear of it. Creepily, Billy asks Summer to try it on. So Summer tries it on, and it isn't really a bridesmaid's dress. Summer complains about being Porky the Pig again. And then Addy comes to visit, and Mr. Allahan, oh, he like what he sees. 
He's made her some cookies that are diabetic friendly and Summer is well chuffed at this. Right, yeah, this is his apology for mm-hmm. putting her into diabetic shock last week. <laughs> so Addy and Summer are having a fabulous time. His cookies are rock solid, but not like that. He apologises for putting her in hospital and it looks like he's about to ask her out and she's about to say yes when he totally bottles it and runs off. So Addy is sulking in the shop and Dev has sussed out that this is women related. Dev offers some advice on technique, ombre to ombre. Addy says he doesn't know how to ask her out, but it doesn't say who she is. Right. Dev suggests that he says it with chocolate or flowers or other things that he can buy in the shop. Right. Go for a big gesture. That are, that are near to expiring. Right. Amy spots Addy outside the florist and very quickly susses that he fancies a girl and he's been speaking to his dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he explains that he fancies Summer but bottled out from asking her out. Amy thinks that she's in the middle of a rom-com and offers to coach him on it. Right, now, so now Amy is Serena de Bergerac. Right. At number one, Addy is practising his asking out lines. He's shy, but Amy thinks it's great. Mm-hmm. He says it's easier with her. He can talk to her like no problem. It's not, right. it's, it's not an effort. And he leaves as Tracy comes in who thinks that Amy and the heir to the Alahanna Empire are dead cute together. <laughs> Not going to happen, says, says Amy. Amy as she heads up the stairs. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. Voiced by Ben Price. <laughs> the whole, you know, Tracy talking about getting the two empires together and stuff. Mm. It reminds me of when... Because... Um, Stelly has been affianced to the hot dog... <laughs> Empire. Mm-hmm. Since she was in it kindergarten, doesn't, that doesn't sound as bad as it. Well, it, it, it isn't as bad as it right. sounds. Right, and I mean they don't sell hot dogs anymore. They're not a hot dog stand empire anymore. Now they're a coffee shop empire. You can't get the smell out though. <laughs> and we joke about this sort of thing all the time that she's going to that she's going to marry the heir to the hot dog empire. Mm-hmm. So we are Tracy. <laughs> So Friday, Tracy sees Addy and Amy chatting while he's holding a bunch of flowers and is even more convinced now that there's something going on between them and is thrilled. Amy sees her and right, totally plays like up on it. staring at her from across the way. Right. It's like, can you be more obvious, Tracy? Addy is now at Summers and has gifted her. Oh, and Amy sees her mother and tries to trick her mother by telling Addy to come around the corner with her like wait five minutes and then walk back around looking guilty right so amy is really playing oh, into totally this amy loves this so addies at summers and gifts her a toy robot which summer one used to be into it's clear that summer two is delighted by this addy asks her out awkwardly and summer awkwardly accepts what did you have in mind she says but he doesn't have a clue so summer puts the kettle on but not like that yeah that was nice i do remember when there were robots all over the place in that flat, yeah, remember? Mm-hmm. We used to be like, what's up with the robots? Well, think well we now we know. Right. Addy and Summer are looking at cat photos and then Addy smoothly sends uh, a text to Summer with a menu ahead of a date this weekend. Uh-huh. After this, a very chilled Addy saunters into the shop very nonchalantly. Dev is impressed, but when Mary mentions the, that she needs new rubber to clean his uh, windscreen, Dev produces a gross of Durex and Addy runs out with embarrassment. Tracy drops into the shop to find Dev making a bachelor box for Addy, including bread freshener, a black notebook, and contraceptives. Tracy is appalled. So ridiculous. Tracy is appalled, as is Dev, when she points out that Addy would be boffing her Amy. Why would anybody be appalled by this? Amy is the one teenager on that street who we know is sexually active. 
Dev talks about the merging of the two empires, but that's not the merging that Tracy's worried about. Steve is going to go mental. He won't add his head on a stick. Would he? Would he? Would he though? Would he? I think he'd be quite happy. Yeah, yeah. This is. He'd be far more decent a boyfriend than the last one who got her up the duff. Oh, that was Irish Tina's son, son wasn't it? Yes. God, what was his name? Oh, God. Fergus. No. Fergal. Travis? Trevor? Trevor. <laughs> Trudy? <laughs> or was it like an Irish name? Was it Seamus? <laughs> Let's go with that. Is that <laughs> I think Seamus was her ex-husband's name, wasn't it? Yeah, maybe. The one that... God, Irish Robert Tina. beat up, remember? Fear of the Irish Tinas of yesteryear. Ah, uh, well, she's got on to bigger and better things too. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Tracy gets home looking for Amy but finds Steve. There's a very contrived moment where Steve finds Tracy's phone that nobody thought was lost with a text from Dev Referring. going on about uh, Steve finding out about all the sex or something. Right, yeah. So Steve thinks that Tracy's getting her hold of a Dev. Right. Look, I've forgiven you about the Paula thing, right. but this is too far. Nice, so, nice of them to remember the Paula thing. So Tracy briefly. has to come clean about Addy and Amy. Steve gets his penis snippers sharpened and goes off to find the young lad. Steve and Dev confront each other outside the salon. Dev accuses Steve of thinking that Addy isn't good enough for his Amy. Addy, Amy and then Summer come round the corner and Tracy reveals that she knows about the bachelor box as Addy clears the confusion by saying, it's Summer that he's seen. Summer? Says everyone. Yeah, everybody's like, Summer? Like, uh, that... That doesn't make any... Tyler! Tyler. I knew it started with a T. That's not Tyler. at all. Affronted, Summer rushes off. So Addy goes to the community garden to apologise to Summer. Amy finds it amusing, as does Addy, but Summer is still so humiliated she rushes home. Right, she's like, oh, well, I'm so glad you guys find it funny that people seem to think that I'm having sex with you and that it's been shouted on the street. Amy tells Addy to leave Totally Billy's bit. daughter. Mm-hmm. And then the two of them continue to be wonderful together yes. without, without Summer. Yes. And that brings us to this week's Hard Debate. And I think everyone knows how we feel about this. Cuteness abounds in the young team Macquarie right now, and it's lovely. But where exactly <laughs> is the highest concentration of chemistry on the cobbles? And the choices were Addy and Amy, Addy and Summer, Summer and Will, or poor Simon. <laughs> In last place. Was poor Simon. Was Summer and Will. Well, okay. In third place was poor Simon. He doesn't even have chemistry with himself. He's got chemistry with Kelly. In second place. And I should say those two were like below 5%. Yeah. Uh, in second place with 39.5%. Addy and Amy. Which makes no sense. And then winning with an astonishing 51.9%, more than the others put together. Which makes no sense. With Addy and Summer, they are good together because Addy. Right, because Addy is good with anyone. Put that put that boy in a scene with anyone and he make he's like Nina. Right. Addy and Nina, you put them in a scene with anybody and it makes the other person better. It makes the other person delightful. We fell in love, we finally fell in love with Seb. Mm-hmm. When he fell in love with Nina. Right. You know, so... I was a little surprised, though, that... Yeah, we were quite shocked. Because the chemistry between Addy and Amy is sparkling. Palpable. It really is. Right. As as we have said, we just want them to buy a van and adopt a dog together and just go out and solve, solve mysteries, mysteries and so have their own spin-off show. Because right. they're fantastic together. They really are. They're funny mm-hmm. together. 
they both have a similar sense of humor. Mm-hmm. They get one another. Right. They understand one another. They tell each other anything. Right. They just trust each other. They're, yeah. That's yeah. lovely. Yeah, it really is. Addy and Amy. We want Amy, not Ammer. That's what we want. We want Amy, have not we, Ammer. Have we, we made the coasters for that yet? <laughs> if not, I think we might have to suggest something else. Amdi. Amy. A-A-M-Y. Oh, I get Amy. it. I get it. And then Ammer. A-A-M-M-E-R. I, I, thank you for spelling it, but I, I did work it out. Anyway. Yeah, it's just shocking to me that people seem to think... Cause, I mean, I guess they were kind of cute together. They were. Him and Summer. But, like you said, he'd be cute with anybody. And... And he was cuter, sorry, with Amy. He really was. He was. So, and You're wrong. Yes. More than half of the people right. who could be bothered to, yes. to respond to that. You think it's, they were all people employed by Coronation Street? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Our penultimate storyline this morning is 24 Carat Community. On Friday at Roy's Rolls, Nina is waiting on her meeting with Lauren, her witness liaison officer, and she is nervous as fuck. Lauren comes in though and she's nice she asks Nina how she's doing and that is enough to make Nina break down later Nina's drained from her meeting and she and Roy chat about her dad's apple tree which gets them all melancholy about you know the metaphor of planting things that Mm -hmm. continue to live after somebody's died and all that sort of stuff and Billy who'd been hanging about like a bad smell in the background and then sees that one of the people that he's supposed to be pastor of has a community vegetable plot and they have events based, based around that as a community. Yes. So they'll have like cook-offs and things like that together. Right. And this gets Nina's brain a ticking over. Yay! So Nina goes to speak with Abby about the community vegetable plot. A passing Debbie thinks it's an amazing idea, but Abby looks unimpressed but still supportive. I'll keep you in the loop, says Nina. No need, says Abby. And Debbie twigs this and we learn that Abby could not give a solitary fuck about community carrots. No. Back at Roy's Rolls, Ed is listening in on Nina and Roy's discussions about this because apparently they'd have to get planning permission from the council. To put it in front of the hospital, yeah. He offers up the land next to his builder's yard for their project and Nina is blown away by the generosity and Ed will even build the raised beds. He he was a fan of Seb. Right. The two of them got on really, really well. They liked each other. and if He used he to can make fun of his ponytail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I can see. Which, you know, maybe... Maybe now is not the time to remember that, Ed, considering that that was what made Nina mad that one time at Seb. Right. So, yeah, so, I don't know, I think this is us It was nice that they remembered, though, that Seb used to work for Ed. So, we're going to have a community garden and a community vegetable plot? Mm-hmm. Competing community places? No. They don't compete. You can have more than one community place. And didn't they used to plant vegetables in the community garden because that was where Tim's dad fucked over Brian Mm -hmm. yeah there's not really an awful lot of room though there for a raised bed and everything and this is nice because it gives it gives Nina a project that she can do Mm -hmm. that will be in Seb's memory and will also give her something to do with her hands and stuff and be creative with yeah because she's already sketched out how it's going to look and stuff right yeah she loves that kind of thing. And this is us all just getting back in and remembering all this stuff ahead of the, the court, court case stuff. and trial yeah. that must be coming up. It's sad that Abby can't is just... Right. Yeah. 
our last storyline today is we need to talk about hope. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> On Friday, Ty builds a new cot. This is last Friday, very quickly. Ty builds a new cot in the living room, not realising it's too big now to fit in the bedroom. And meanwhile, Fizz has another date with Phil in Speeddal again. He doesn't mm-hmm. like spicy food and he seems to fucking live in Speeddal. And she's thinking of backing out when Hope comes in and announces that she hates Ruby and she hates the new baby. She remains unconvinced that she means anything in anybody's life these days. Right, and Ruby has uncharacteristically been giving her a hard time about not not being Ty's biological daughter. And it's like, that doesn't sound like something Ruby would do at all. No, Ruby dresses up as a lion and goes, rawr. That's what (laughs) Ruby does. Ty has uh, the baby, Fizz has Phil. And later, when Hope is with Ty and Lena, she finds out that the baby is eventually going to get her and Ruby's room at the flat, and Hope is not about to let that go without a fight. Fizz meets with Phil, but tells him that the timing's not right for them, and later Ty sees Fizz on the street and asks about the missing Teddy, but Fizz hasn't seen it either. Fizz tells him about Phil and Ty can barely hide his glee, and in the backyard, Hope has the missing Teddy, and she rips its head. Right off. off. Came off a bit easy, I thought. Uh, do you think eh, Fizz breaking up with Phil, who was great, uh-huh. you know, and has traveled the world and knows what a Komodo dragon is right. or a monitor lizard. When she broke up with him, I was like, oh, this means she's getting back with Tyrone, doesn't it? Kind of feels that way, doesn't it? No, I don't think not necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we've seen the last of him. I hope, I I hope not, because he's great. Yeah, I liked him. Yeah, and I he need, was. I need to see him outside of speed dial every now and again, though. And he was good for Fizz. Yep. He made her laugh. He was interesting, and he was interested in her. Correct. On to this week, then, on Monday. What a lovely start to the week as Alina and Tyrone tell Emma to find somewhere else to live. Yeah, fuck you, you two. <laughs> what the fuck? This is Emma's house. Right. This is Emma's house. Emma invited Alina to move in, and then Alina just kind of squished Tyrone in. Without really talking to Emma. Yep. And Emma just had to get used to it. And now they're pushing her out of her own flat. And she's just... She's being such a doormat. And it just mm-hmm. made me so angry that they would have the gall to say, Oh, well, you know, we're going to need more room with the baby. And Emma's just like, fine, I'll move out of my own flat. Mm-hmm. I move in with Curtis, who I barely know and may die. And, and might be dead right now, for all <laughs> I know. My name is on this place. Mm-hmm. Ty suggests. Uh, it made, that made me so angry. Oh, me too. That made me so angry. Ty suggests a night It made out. me hate Tyrone even more. He suggests a night out to celebrate buying the flat, which is a thing again. Mm. So Ty goes to pick up Hope, who is in no mood to go with her dad until she catches wind that Hope and Ruby will be getting Emma's room at Tyrone and Alina's now. Mm-hmm. And Alina's going to do it with the LED lights, whatever that means. Hope rushes out to the gunnel and retrieves a destroyed teddy but then thinks no it's too fucked and throws it back into the, the trash again she comes back in with Emily Brontosaurus that she wants to give as a gift to the new baby saying as <clears throat> something happened to the teddy <clears throat> uh-huh. well, since daddy sh- since silly daddy lost that teddy bear you can have Emily Brontosaurus which is a fantastic name for a Brontosaurus by the way who gave it that name because Tyrone's Tyrone never didn't. heard of Emily Bronte <laughs> and I don't know that Fizz would have either Evelyn? Did Hope do it herself? <laughs> well, if you're sure, says Ty, and he's so chuffed he pees himself a wee bit. At the factory, Sarah and Fizz are comparing notes about shitty men when Alina comes over to interrupt, complaining about a stomach pain she's been experiencing for a couple of hours. She asks for time off, but Fizz suggests that she goes to the hospital just to be safe. 
Outside Roy's roles ties Taunton Kirk into attending his night out with Alina when Fizz comes along to explain what happened to her. Ty rushes off and Hope, who had been promised a milkshake, is mightily pissed off again. At the hospital, though, the baby is fine. Tyrone assumes it's a boy because of its heartbeat being so strong, but when Scalded admits to being an equal opportunities dad, the technician is even able to confirm the sex if they'd like to know. Mm-hmm. Ty and Hope finally get to the flat and she presents Alina with Emily Brontosaurus. She goes off to get some colouring stuff so they can design the new room, right. but overhears Tyrone peeing his pants again, this time with the utter joy of finally having a male offspring to continue the Dobbs lineage. Hope is not happy. Yeah. She doesn't want to kill her anymore. Alina calls her darling. Oh, come on, darling. I'm not your darling, says Hope. And when Fizz comes to pick her up, Hope tells her privately that she never wants to come back and she wants her fucking dinosaur back. <laughs> As Fizz and Tyrone are sharing their disbelief about this, Hope sneaks out with Alina's keys. Mm-hmm. At home, a sad Hope tells Fizz about Ty and Alina having a boy and how her daddy will forget about her. She hates Alina and she hates that baby. Fizz sends her to her room rather than allow her to explore these emotions in more depth. Alina is sleeping off the excitement of the day back at the flat. Ty accidentally wakes her up and asks her if she's up for the night out. She isn't, but insists that he goes. All his mates were looking forward to it. Well, Kirk. (laughs) Even Kirk doesn't seem like he was really looking forward (laughs) to it either until he finds out that Alina's not going. Ty and Fizz bump into each other and Fizz tells him that Hope heard it was a boy and his reaction is why she was off with him earlier. She's a sensitive wee soul, says Fizz, and Ty promises to fix it tomorrow. At home, Fizz tries to smooth things over with Hope, but she can't be placated and she just wants things back to normal. She hates that fucking baby and doesn't want it having Emily Brontosaurus. Once again, Fizz responds by sending her to her room, this time to go to bed. The characters on the street are still happy to frequent a hotel once owned by a sexual predator who tried to demolish their homes. It's only Kirk who can be asked to turn up for Tyrone's night out at that hotel. No one else could be bothered. Mm-hmm. So Fizz is talking to Evelyn about patience, then nips out to get some chalks and vino for them to share in front of the TV since they've got a, a, yeah, a quiet it's, night. It's delightful, the really two is. of them just hanging out and stuff mm-hmm. together. I just... And then there was this, I'm really happy that their relationship has it's evolved. Greater, right? It's greater than, over, than Tyrone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So shortly after, Evelyn is sleep-eating her glasses. <laughs> her glasses have kind of slipped off her nose and they're over her mouth. Right, and she's, and she's kind falling of asleep. Them, right? When Hope sneaks by and out the back door, she sneaks into the flat, grabs a dinosaur, but then sees a lit candle and some nail varnish remover. She get, hurries home and up the stairs just as Fizz gets back. Evelyn's still sparked out in the chair, and meanwhile, back at Lena's flat, it's on fire. Outside, Eileen and Sally smell smoke and look up to see it coming out of the salon flat window. Sally calls the fire brigade while Eileen rushes off to get Evelyn, who calls Tyrone, so he and Kirk rush home. And the street are all out watching Alina getting loaded into an ambulance just as Ty gets back in a taxi. Alina is okay but has inhaled a lot of smoke and Ty's worried about the baby. But there's no time for that and the ambulance takes her to back to the hospital that she's just come out of mm-hmm. as Hope watches emotionless from her window. Yeah. On Wednesday, Alina is okay in hospital and the wee fella has been given the thumbs up too. Yes. Alina has been thinking of names and they go for Andre, like the giant, and, and Alina's <laughs> granddad. Tyrone. And brother. Tyrone thinks that Andre is a dead exotic name. Tyrone does. <laughs> Hope and Eileen turn into, run into Ty at Roy's Rolls. She and the baby are fine, and while this is good news, Hope seems unreasonably cheery. Ty is off to speak with a fire investigator later to see what the cause of the fire was, and Hope is sure whatever it was, it was Alina's fault. Yeah. So Tyrone goes to speak with the investigator and gives him far too much information about his baby and its name. 
And then after minimal prompting, the investigator ranks that the fire was caused by a candle. They're the new chip pan, he says. Yes. Back at the hospital, Tyrone can't wait to tell Alina that the fire was her fault. She starts beating herself up about it. How could she have been so stupid? And later, she's about to leave when she gets a pain and a bleed, so they send her off for an emergency scan. And after the scan, Alina already knows what the outcome, outcome is going to be, and right enough, the baby's heartbeat can't be found. Ty thinks that there must be something they can do, but there's not. She's miscarrying the baby. And Alina blames herself. Thanks to Tyrone telling about the candle. The nurse says that anyone with, any one of a million things could have caused the miscarriage. None of this helps, though. And then back home, Evelyn has received the news at home and Ty asks her to tell the girls. Next one, Tyrone. Hmm. The girls are typically nonplussed by the news and hope only becomes more animated when she learns that this does not mean Ty will be moving back home. Right. Evelyn and Hope wander by the flat. Hope oddly worried about the amount of police that seemed to be there, insisting that it was definitely Alina Scandal who had done it. And then Evelyn becomes suspicious of Hope and the questions about the trouble somebody would, would be in for causing the fire. Mm-hmm. Alina's finding it hard to leave the hospital and go back home, now thinking that they're being punished for their affair. Ty has made arrangements to set the rovers until the flat has been sorted, despite Alina saying that she can't go back there. And at home, the kids are in bed, and Evelyn tells Fizz about Hope's weird questions. What are you suggesting, says Fizz? Evelyn points out that Hope may know more about the fire than she's letting on. It wouldn't be the first time that she started the fire, says Evelyn. And Fizz takes a hump, but it seems like it adds up at least somewhat for her too. Mm-hmm. But Hope was in the house, right. in her bed at the time, wasn't she? Yeah. Wasn't she? Yeah. Back at the Maybe. flat, it's dingy and dark when Ty and Alina get back. He promises to put everything back the way it was, even that monstrous uh, photo of them. Yeah, sadly, but that didn't a- burn down. <laughs> right. It's... <laughs> It's yet another situation where they've had this traumatic fire on Coronation Street that has caused bodily harm, and yet it doesn't realistically look like... It's a little black in one corner. I thought they did a good job by making it dark. Because I remember my um, ex-sister-in-law's flat uh, or house Mm -hmm. caught on fire and walking into that, I was actually reminded of that by walking Mm -hmm. by seeing... Uh, Ty and Alina walking into theirs a bit. Yeah. But, I mean, especially when we find out later that it wasn't just a candle. Right. You know, you've seen those videos of how fast the fire spreads. Mm-hmm. Eh. In such an enclosed area. Yeah. I was really disappointed that picture didn't burn. Well, for, for a number of reasons. Yes. Outside Fizz sees Ty and offers her condolences. She would never have wished this upon them. She asks how the fire started and Ty tells her about the candle, which makes Fizz shift a little on her feet. Mm-hmm. Alina has packed when uh, something the fire guy says comes back to her. The candle that started the fire is in the cot when she's adamant it was on the windowsill or somewhere. Right, it was the near the, the cot. Right. Tyrone is a bit chinny-chin about this, but Alina insists she lost her baby, not her mind, so Tyrone has to pretend that he believes her. Mm-hmm. On Friday, at the room in the rovers, Lena is still insisting that she moved the candle away from the cot, and despite his protestations otherwise, she senses that he's not 100% on board with her. Meanwhile at home, Hope is terrorising Ruby with a super squatter. Mm-hmm. Fizz is insisting to Evelyn that Hope had nothing to do with the fire because apparently it was a candle, and Evelyn can't hide her relief. Fizz, secretly, she's the one that isn't convinced now. Yeah. Back in the flat, Alina's angry that Tyrone isn't angry. In comes PC Not Tinker asking for a chat. Alina quickly points out our candle theory. Alina quickly points out our candle theory, and PC Not Tinker explains that an accelerant was used in the fire. It turns out, meaning mm-hmm. this was deliberate. Yeah. This, he says, is arson. Yes. You're arson around. Cut it. Oh ha. Don't even watch. 
the Tyrone and Alina explain who had access to the flat, Tyrone limiting it to Emma and Debbie. And Fizz bumps into Tyrone and learns that the fire was deliberate. Fizz looks like she's about to vomit and she rushes away suspiciously. Mm-hmm. Back in the flat, a frantic Alina is going through boxes looking for the keys that have right, a scan photo on it. That she's only just now realised are missing, even though it was like two days ago? Well, she was in the hospital and then she was in the rovers. Right, but you'd think you'd think that she would have realised her keys were missing before then. Well, she realises now and then she puts two and two together. There was no breaking. Someone stole her keys and caused the fire, mm-hmm. and she reckons that she knows who it was. Fizz. Yeah, she immediately goes to Fizz. Mm-hmm. Which really doesn't make sense. No, none at all. But let's remember, Alina is still butthurt about that article and everything, and still seems to think that Fizz wants Tyrone back, which oh, could be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. At home, Evelyn is about to go for a walk, and Fizz suggests that she just takes Ruby. Evelyn wants to know what's happened as Hope rushes in and throws the soaker in her toy box, which is in the living room handily. Right. Fizz is keen for Hope to stay put. Fizz wants a word with Hope about the fire and sees I Hope her toy box defensively and she's going to open it and mm-hmm. Hope's like, oh, no, no. And it's, it's so obvious that there's something in that box. Yeah. So Fizz opens it up and looks inside. Mm-hmm. We don't see at this point what she sees. Tyrone lands in on Fizz, who has no time for questions about Alina's keys. She's making a million sandwiches. But then he sees Hope struggling to move her suitcase downstairs. What the fuck is going on here? Yes. Emma comes back to the flat and Alina talks her into not moving out now, which is just adding insult to injury. Right. It's like, oh, I need you so much now that the baby is dead. And this flat needs decorating and everything. Right. Yeah. Now that we need help getting this flat back together. Move out. But now that we've burnt it half to the ground, yeah, why don't you in. move back in? Fucking people. Uh, the people chat, need to treat Emma better. The chat about the missing keys and Alina is now convinced that someone tried to kill her and she's sure it's fees. Emma can't believe it, but Alina is sure. Back at home, Hope is still oddly unmoved by all this as Ty sends her upstairs. Ty accuses her of stealing the keys and is about to go and tell the police, which forces Fizz to show him that she had the keys and Emily Brontosaurus. And it was Hope that did it, mm-hmm. not Fizz. Yeah. Ty shouts on Hope, who denies it, and wants a peanut butter butty. Yeah. Eventually, Hope admits to taking the dinosaur back, and anything else was just an accident. Now, where's my fucking sandwich? Right. Hope goes back upstairs with the sandwich. Fizz makes a case for Hope. It wasn't on purpose. It wasn't to kill anyone. Ty can't believe the lack of understanding and blames the miscarriage on the fire. Hope's had a lot of disruption, which Ty takes as a dig at him, and how come Ruby's not trying to kill anybody? Fizz points right. out that Hope is old enough to be criminally responsible and asks if he's prepared to ruin her life. Are you prepared? Says Ty. Back at the flat, Alina wants justice and for the cops to speak to Fees while Emma tries to downplay it all. Back home, Ty points out that it doesn't take a psychologist to work out that something's not right with Hope. She could have taken the toy and left, but she set the fire as well. Fizz tries to blame Ty for this again, but he points out that she's been setting fires for years. This is nothing new. Running away with her, which is what he assumes is going to happen, isn't Mm -hmm. solving anything. Alina knocks on the door and Fizz begs him to ignore it. Eventually, Alina gives up and Ty tells Fizz that he can't stay silent on this. Alina is sick of being patient and so she calls the fuzz. And PC Tinker arrives at the flat to get Alina's statement. Yeah, all of a sudden, it's not the arson (laughs) investigator who's there. It's Craig. Why? She can't be sure that Fizz is behind all this, but no one else has a motive. She's lost her baby, she wants justice, and PC Tinker guarantees results. No. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Hope is so upset by all this, she wolfed down her sandwich in one go. 
Fizz and Ty continue their discussion. Fizz would take the rap before Hope, which would leave him with Hope and Ruby to look after. And then he twigs, finally. Mm-hmm. Wait a second. You were going to take off with Hope, but you were going to leave Ruby behind. Right. <laughs> so. And she tries to say, oh no, would I come back for her? Right, yeah. And, and Evelyn is here. Mm-hmm. And you're here. She Poor says Ruby. that Ruby is uh, a chip off Tyrone's block, but Hope is John Stape. And if this gets out, Hope will be taken away and Fizz can't let that happen. PC Tinker's now banging on Fizz's door when Evelyn comes along. Uh, she lets him in, but there's no sign of Fizz right. or Hope. But I'll... doesn't let Alina in. No. She's like, wait a second. Yeah, you're you not a police here. officer. That was brilliant. I'll tell her you're looking for her, says Evelyn. Meanwhile, Fizz and Hope are practically sprinting to the tram station. Hope is curious to know why. We're off for an adventure. Doesn't this sound like fun? Mm-hmm. Says a tearful Fizz. Back at the house, Tyrone comes back from a supposed job and wonders why there's police outside mm-hmm. Fizz's house. He has no idea where Fizz is, hasn't seen her in ages, hasn't spoken to her. And he goes back to work, leaving Alina, hands on hips, outside Fizz's house. Mm-hmm. And that's how we end this week's episodes. I'm surprised he didn't say, oh, oh, by the way, I found your keys. Yeah. They will either be permanently lost or will come up hidden down the couch or Inconveniently, yeah. Right. So Tyrone <sighs> is telling lies to cover for Fizz and to cover for Hope. Right. And meanwhile, the person that I'm actually starting to feel sorry for in all this, obviously, is Alina, mm. who's standing there on her own, is the only one who seems to care about the fact that she's lost the baby, is the only one who seems to be wanting justice on this, and she's getting... No real support from anyone, not from Tyrone and not from Emma, who doesn't really believe it either. No. The fact that she's wrong doesn't really help matters. No. But, but she's suddenly just become very alone in this whole thing. Right. Which, let's be honest, we could have predicted. Oh, sure. Just like we we kind of predicted that this miscarriage was going to happen at some point. There, there was no room there for this baby. There was no way this baby was going to get born. No. You know, and it's unfortunate because, you know, we just had Maria's miscarriage last year. You know, it just, it feels like they throw a pregnancy into the mix to kind of put a nail in the coffin of the male partner's former relationship saying, Mm -hmm. okay, this is finally, you know, this is, this is it. That former relationship is done. This other woman is pregnant, so you have to swallow your pride and be happy for this other woman who's right. pregnant with the baby of your former partner. Mm-hmm. And then once that baby solves that particular problem, they do away with the baby right. in a miscarriage. And, you know, while we knew this was going to happen, it doesn't make it any better as far as as far as a storyline is concerned. And it kind of makes it like a miscarriage is just an inconvenience to to a lot of people on the street and that's unfortunate um i don't think it's an inconvenience to alina and no and out of the you know i think we've talked about this before and we've probably talked about it round about the um the maria time mm-hmm. that you know having some experience of this i really think that they absolutely nailed the the reaction in the hospital yeah as it brought an awful lot of memories back right and and Alina, in particular, I thought done a fantastic job of um, of, of being that that person who has lost. Right. They, they both did it well. Um, mm. I, th- I thought this. I think. Well, Tyrone just becomes kind of 
events wash over Tyrone an awful lot of the time. He's kind of not always an active participant in things, no. which is kind of his character. That's true. But um, from from her point of view, particularly, I thought um, it was really exceptionally well done, and that the pain that she felt from it uh, was really believable mm-hmm. and and really affecting as well. Uh, to tie that all in into something that is, you know, it's already a traumatic experience, but the a fire, mm-hmm. and particularly a fire when you're asleep, yeah, is also a hugely traumatic Event. experience yeah. because you you become scared to go to sleep right. in case it happens again. Right. So the way that that she's had both of these events right. happen back to back, yeah, immediately following being scared for the the baby mm-hmm. the day before, right. Well, she's been through. She's been through <laughs> a, a lot. A remarkable amount, and there's. And is suddenly very alone. I thought it was very telling that the last kind of scene is of Tyrone walking away mm-hmm. and leaving her standing outside a house that she doesn't live in. Right. Fucking Craig's disappeared. Mm-hmm. She's just standing there on her own thinking, what, what am I to do here? Right. Yeah. I thought that was kind of heartbreaking. It was, it was heartbreaking, you know. But the way everybody's gaslighting her about this is really unfortunate and you know it does yes Tyrone's character is sort of the sort of person that a lot of the stuff just kind of washes over you're right but still it it doesn't seem to affect him the way I imagine your situation affected you Mm -hmm. you know and that's unfortunate and just, and this this whole stuff with hope, you know, the whole, oh, well, you know, her dad was an awful, evil human being. So obviously yep. she's an awful, evil human being. Serial killer. Yep. You know. But, but an accidental serial killer. Right. Most of the and time. And Ruby's mom was exactly not a walk in the park either. Correct. So for them to be like, oh, well, you know. She's John Stapes' child through and through, but Ruby is peaches and light because of you, Tyrone, because you're such a wonderful guy. Mm-hmm. He's not really that great. <laughs> but, you know, it makes me worried that with all of this focus on hope, Ruby is just going to act out at some point. Because she has to, doesn't she? There has to be just a reaction, to get, yeah. Just to get some sort of reaction from her family who seems so focused on hope mm-hmm. you know and while i love hope's deviousness and everything i i i feel for that kid as well because right. you know she went in there she started that fire but she didn't know alina was there she thought right. alina was gone right and that's important to note that yeah this wasn't like attempted murder yeah. or anything no she was Trying to burn down that cot because that cot represents the fact that things are changing. Yeah. Um, Unbelievable that she doesn't appreciate that that fire is going to then spread. Right. And that that fire might, which is kind of shocking because the last time she lit a fire, it spread a lot faster. <laughs> Remember? And then she got saved by what's his name? Who's not on the show anymore? Oh, yeah. The doctor. Yeah. Ryan's brother. He's not really his brother. The Joker. Yeah. <laughs> Went on to make movies with a rock. Um, 
We're not doing very well for remembering people's names. We're really names not. But anyway, Ali. Yes, thank you. Wow. I'm exhausted now. I am too. So, yeah, I feel for Alina, but I also feel for Hope. I thought it was a strange thing to then, because as we said, Hope did not start this fire with the intent to kill anyone or to cause a miscarriage because she's still a child. Right. You know, the concept of a miscarriage. And I thought the miscarriage juxtaposition with the fire was a bit odd. I thought it was a bit odd that, you know, oh, she's feeling pain. So she goes to the hospital, but it's fine. Everything's good. She's in this fire. So she's rushed to the hospital and everything's good with the baby. And it's only when she's walking out the door that all of a sudden she starts to miscarry. See, that's why I think that the fire is a complete red hair. And, and it's and absolutely a red. Yeah. Because the, my, ex- well, not my experience, but the, the, the circumstances that I was involved in was uh, there were several trips to the hospital. Right. And really the first trip to the hospital that we didn't know at the time was this isn't going well. Right. And you, you don't know that at the time. And and, and sometimes it, 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 it turns around and, and it becomes fine, I guess. Yeah. But the first time that she went, the time from when she left the factory, mm-hmm. is really the sign that this isn't great. Yeah, things are not... Right, it's not working out well. Yeah. I mean, I was put, for Pete's sake, I was put on bed rest in the hospital for a month because we thought we were going to lose Benny. Right. Because his heart kept decelerating. So... These things, these things tend to hap- don't tend to happen in a vacuum. Right. So I thought it was very odd that they kept saying, oh, no, no, the baby's fine. Oh, no, no, the baby's fine. And then all of a sudden the baby's not fine. Because at that point, as far as they know, it is. But, you know. But they, I think they know. And I think Alina probably knew it. Yeah. That there was something not right. Not but you hope. You, you know. Yeah. But it, it seems like even the doctors were kind of gaslighting her a little bit, insisting that everything was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was a, it was just very odd. And then hope once she finds out that the baby is dead and thinking that that means that Tyrone's going to move back home and then getting upset that Tyrone's not going to be moving back home. That makes it seem like she had this devious plan all along right. to kill the baby so that she could get her daddy back. Her reaction was fucked up. Yeah. She, all she cares about is her sandwich. Right. It was... Uh, it's it's pushing her towards... It, it's Yeah, it's pushing her a little bit further. I mean, it's we like the fact that she's devious and she's kind of evil in some situations, but right. the way that they're pushing her... It's very children of the corn, isn't it? It's stark. It was. A, it was. I was really uncomfortable when she was asking for the sandwich and going yeah. on about the sandwich. When she, she maybe didn't plan for this to happen, but she knows it. It did happen, right? And she knows it was her fault, right? But I, she really doesn't seem to care. There's yeah, and there's no remorse at all, right? And you'd think that there would be at least a little bit of remorse because if she, this wasn't her. She was just trying to burn down that cot. Mm-hmm. She wasn't trying to hurt anybody. I don't know. I. What what does this what does this mean for this? I mean, we have had children in the past on Coronation Street be really, really, really awful not children. As, not as, not this bad, I don't think. And then grow up to be David. Right. <laughs> so. Right. right. Well, yeah. Anyway, let's wrap this one up because we've been going on for a while. Yes, it's been we a have. longer one. So that was the week that was Coronation Street. What was your moment of the week? Paul telling Billy that. He's not good enough for him. That was really the moment of last week. Right, but we already 
but we're including it with this week, aren't we? Should we make, no, I think we should make it this week. No, because that was so good. Billy, Paul saying, I'm better than you to Billy. That was great. No, I think we need to make it this week because it's, it's not moment of the week in a few days. It's a moment of the week. In which case, it's one of two things. Boo. It's either Izzy or it's Alina. It's not Dev putting his cappuccino down. <laughs> Some minor earthquake tears <laughs> through Eaton Rapids. No, it's been dev far too recently. Far too often, far too recently. I'm inclined to give it towards Izzy. Izzy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Izzy. I think for all the, the people that have been living through this uh, mm-hmm. silently. Yes. Um, and I, I think it's a stark reminder that is required that, you know, these are... These are real people. These are, and they're real people and these are difficult situations to go into and they're difficult situations to come out of. And I think Absolutely. it's, it's, a, it's a, a timely reminder of that. Yes. So that's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your born moment of the week. That whining dog. That whining dog. <laughs> oh, such an asshole dog. Uh, Mary talking about the language of flowers again to the undertaker again uh, yeah i think it's got to be because it's just we've, we've had this right yeah we talked about the language of flowers already with mary and now she's talking about it again with the yellow meaning friendship and you know that does it yeah that's our boring moment of the week hashtag get mary laid shall we wrap this one up then yes please if you've ever had an oversized self-portrait that just refused to be destroyed in an inferno, please drop us a line and we'll fire up the barbie. We are the talk of the street gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of voggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with more uh, Talk on the Street. Talk on the Street. Cheerio. Bye.